0: Hi, welcome to Forbes India's The Startup Fridays podcast. I'm Hariyarkali, Tech Editor at Forbes India. In these podcasts, we'll bring you conversations with entrepreneurs who are finding opportunities in solving a variety of problems in multiple areas. We will also talk to investors from venture capital companies and other folks who are playing a significant role in India's maturing startup scene. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also find us live on Instagram every Friday morning. Stay safe and happy listening. Our guest today uh, is an incredibly prolific entrepreneur and a VC investor. Balapat Sati is co founder and CEO of MWin Tech, much better known as uh, MoneyTap. Uh, the company's app-based lending platform with millions of users. The company is also well into its next phase of growth as a digital bank uh, under the name uh, Frio. Previously, Bala has uh, co-founded Snapfish where he was a CTO and it was a photo management and e-commerce application company uh, that manages billions of photographs uh, and it was acquired by uh, Hewlett-Packard. He's also co-founder of Prime Ventures, an early stage uh, tech-focused VC firm in Bangalore Bala, fantastic to have you with us uh, this morning. Thank you for making time for joining us.
1: Thank you, my pleasure.
0: Excellent. So uh, just to get us uh, started uh, for uh, folks who are not very familiar with your work, uh, maybe you could start by telling us a bit about uh, MoneyTap and Prio. Uh, What is the problem that you uh, started tackling when you started the company? And we'll uh, go from there.
1: Sure, Hari. So the genesis of the company um, was that I was working for Aadhar. So I was one of the very early people at Aadhar on, on day zero, uh, working with Mr. Nandan Nilekani. And uh, uh, during the days of Aadhar, we got to talk to a lot of banks, and more importantly, travel you know up and down the country, uh, talk to various people. And um, and then I went and started a, a venture capital fund called Prime Ventures. Uh, where we again interacted with a lot of banks and and other financial institutions. And over time, you know, um, we realized that there is a huge gap between who the banks serve uh, and and the people who want to be served, especially in the digital age. Um, So the banks uh, love the sort of the high-end customer. They want to give them a credit card, car loan, no, they pamper them. Um, but if you go a little bit below that uh, they get no love and um, and this is you know this is I'm stating the obvious fact but um, early in 2016 we saw this as an acute problem uh, and we knew that even though Jio had actually not yet officially launched uh, the data the winds were blowing that direction data is going to be cheap phones were coming up so we knew that everybody practically in India is gonna have a phone uh, a cheap smartphone and uh, our, pro- our vision was to use the phone to solve the problem of our customer uh, and we've been very true to our customer our customer is about 29 years old uh living in tier one two and tier three cities um, they're not sort of the blue collar but they're definitely not the prime either so they're sort of the you know plum and sort of the middle income middle class and our goal was to sort of solve their financial problems whether it's a problem of Know, cash deficit that they might have or you know, cash surplus they might have or how to expense it, all of that.
0: Mm. Uh, tell us also a bit about uh, how you and uh, Kunal Varma and uh, Anuj Kraker, your co-founders, how you all got together.
1: Sure. Um, Anuj and Kunal had, had done a successful exit in a previous startup and uh, I had been sort of advising them on the previous startup. Um, and I was also on the board of one of the companies of, uh, of uh, one of the brothers, one of, the, uh, one of, of Anuj. Uh, and that's how I know them. I've known them for years before I started this. Um, and when we started, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, doing a startup is a long and hard journey. So you need sort of the right partners along with you. And because I'd known them for a long time, they were sort of the perfect partners. And, uh, and even today, you know, after five years, I, you know, that's been a, one of the smartest things that I've done. Uh,
0: tell us a bit about uh, what you started out with uh, when you uh, you know the the very first sort of commercial product that you offered and then we could get into a little bit into what the company is evolving into now with frio
1: sure so um so Harry, the problem of uh the fact the the, the 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 in terms of financial services the customer has a lot of problems right how to open a bank account easily how do i check my balance easily how do i you know transfer money easily uh, now some of this has been solved by upi and so on and so forth but you know back in 20, uh, 2016 UPI was not yet there so but we because I was a part of all of these groups I knew that UPI would come I didn't know it would come in such a big way but we knew that some of the problems like that would be solved but one of the toughest problems was to solve was credit um, the banks were giving loans but they would give loans after a lot of paperwork and after a lot of uh, and they would basically give loans to only the people who don't really need the loans um, our goal, because our customer, as I said, is sort of the middle-income, middle-class customer, uh, our goal was just to give them credit, but we didn't want to just give them a loan, right? So the innovation in the product, which continues to be the, you know, the number one innovation that uh, we have done, you know, four years later, we, are to, we created this category of a line of credit, and let me just take explain that in about 30 seconds. So the biggest insight, and I personally talked to about a thousand customers, like on the street, and the malls, Um, various people. I I go to like you know factories and talk to people on the floor. The insight was very simple. Uh, If I tell you it's very obvious but the insight is that people don't really think of themselves as loan takers. Right? They don't want a loan. That's kind of a dirty word in almost in a lot of ways but what they do do is that they're always short of cash. Uh, Sometimes they have a little bit more, sometimes they have a little bit less. What they really want is somebody to cover on a sort of a rotating basis. uh, A little bit of deficit here uh, and you know, maybe I have a little bit more money. I'll pay it back. So that's how that's how the world, you know, that's how India works, uh, at least in the middle class. Um, now the normal course of action for them is to either go to a friend, this is the first port of call, uh, or you know, go to their uh, chacha um, and or go to a money lender. You know, they don't have any other option. Uh, so friends are fine. Uh, friends are the best, best, best source. But friends are also in your same economic category. So if you don't have money, they probably don't have that much more money either um but you do use your friends um relatives are more sticky and more complicated because it comes with hidden family obligations right if you you know borrow money from your uncle you know you have to go at four o'clock in the morning to the railway station you know <laughs> to pick up the suitcase of, <laughs> of auntie when auntie comes so there are all these sort of hidden implications and nobody especially the younger generation don't want to deal with this kind of stuff um and but after these two the drop is very significant the next port of call is money lender who will kind of Come knock on your door in the middle of the night and you know take off your fam if you don't pay if you don't pay back, right? So or worse. So uh, what we felt is that is the gap and the product is a line of credit uh, and what it does is that you you, let's say Hari you apply for it you get approved for a credit limit right? So let's say it's in your case it's like it could be twenty thousand could be forty thousand it could be one lakh be five lakhs but it's some amount like that and. You don't have to borrow, right? You're not borrowing, you don't need money right now. You just want to have the option of borrowing whenever you want. Now, let's say two months later, suddenly mother-in-law comes and you need to, you know, buy some sari or, you know, there's a festival or there's a medical emergency or there's a death in the family, there's a birth. We have constant need for sort of small amounts of money and you want 10,000 rupees. You don't want to take a loan of one lakh or five lakhs. That's too much. Um, No problem, you just open the app because you've already been approved. Uh, You just press a button and within like seconds, the money gets sent to your bank account, right? Now, one lakh becomes 90,000, so you can, again, three days later, go and borrow another 50,000 if you want, but everything is a is, is a piece, and then you in the month of the month, you get a EMI of whatever you borrowed. You can borrow for two months, you can borrow for two years, you can borrow for six months, you can borrow for three years. It's very flexible, both in terms of how long you borrow and how much you borrow, right? And if you pay back, the pot becomes full again, right? So once you pay back your 10,000, you go back to your sort of one lakh limit. That was the product. Um, you could take it out as cash, you could take it out on UPI, you could take it out on a credit card. So you also have a unique credit card product, which you can actually swipe in a, in a machine like you like would anywhere else. And so it was kind of a combo product, which is very flexible. Um, so it's an app-based credit line that is the like name of the category. Uh, and and, uh, and that's what that was the first product. Uh, since then, we've evolved and obviously done a lot of other products as well. Mm.
0: Give us a sense of uh, the scale of uh, this product, which you called MoneyTap, uh, but yes. now you're also moving into Frio. Uh,
1: sure. Um, so MoneyTap itself has probably done close to a billion dollars of credit disbursements, right? So it's a fairly significant scale. Uh, we partner with banks, we partner with other financial institutions who actually give the money. Um, and um, the obviously the volume is like significant. Um, and, uh, and the business is obviously continuing to grow. Um, and of the billion, you know, 99% has come back, right? So it's obviously easy to give money. <laughs> kind of like getting the money back is the more tricky issue. And that's where the machine learning and the algorithms and everything else comes in. So, the, because, but what we have found, especially during COVID is that because we're offering a super sort of flexible product, um, people actually don't want to mess with it, right? Because they know that if they don't pay back, they'll get cut. So uh, even during COVID, we saw very high repayment rates in this particular product. Now we have other products. Um, Main, but this particular product has been, uh, you know, a great winner, and that's kind of roughly scale. Overall, uh, in the system we have about um, about a million users uh, who engage with us, and we have a suite of about half a dozen products now, uh, in one product or the other, and um, and uh, and th- that's roughly the scale. We have about a waiting list of about five six million people users who want one of these products. So.
0: Mm. And now um, you're expanding much more under the umbrella of the brand uh, Frio. I mean, you have, you have your own NBFC. Uh, you uh, I guess the Frio is also a digital bank uh, or a new bank. Um, so, so give us a sense of uh, what are some of the most uh, interesting uh, trends or you know, developments in the Indian fintech scene today that kind of puts you in a, in a nice spot uh, to go from here.
1: Sure. Um, so our thesis, um, Hari, has always been that, uh, you know, in, in 91 when, you know, the, India, the RBI allowed private banks, right, so the HDFC and, you know, ICICI and Kotak and everybody came um, and they really, you know, went after the public sector banks uh, and they took serious amount of market share, right, from them by just offering a better, better service, right, better customer service, uh, you know, more digitized offering, more streamlined and, and running a profitable and excellent business. HDFC is one of the best-run banks in the world, not just India. Um, but they have the legacy of starting in nineteen ninety, so they are used to their own mainframe systems and you know certain constraints that they come with. Now, in the world which is all mobile, which is you know which is not branchless, so, so what they came and they put a branch up everywhere in the country. That's what HDFC did, uh, and by HDFC I mean all the other banks, ICICI and so on and so forth. Um, what we see is, uh, and what we have been seeing for the last few years, is that. We know that uh, the next generation of people never want to walk into a branch. Like, I don't want to go to a branch. Uh, You know, I don't want to walk into a store, right? People are ordering on Swiggy, people are ordering on Zomato, people are, you know, ordering on Amazon. Uh, Why would you want to go into a bank when everything else is coming to you? So, uh, on a phone. And that has been the thesis. So, our view of the next 10 years when we started in 2015, and it still remains to be true, um, is that the financial services obviously will also move to the phone. You should never have to ever walk into a branch again Uh, and definitely the somebody who's you know 25-30 years old which is our target demographic today um, and even younger obviously when they grow up they will never even conceive of walking to a bank like my son would not know what a bank is right I mean he's like what are you talking about I've seen this building somewhere but I would never been inside so it'll be like that and these people will want a new set of services Um, that the banks cannot even conceive of offering, right? For example, the credit line itself that we offer. Uh, Once I explained it to you, it's not like you'd say, okay, that's obvious, you know, yes, sure, of course, you should be borrowing a little bit of money and not have to borrow all at once. But today, if you go to any bank, they won't have this product. Uh, And and this is not a secret, right? We've been out and we've done a billion dollars. So it's not like it's a well-kept secret, but they just can't do it because they just don't have the systems in in place to be able to offer a product like this. Uh, And they don't have the DNA to be able to build a new one. Like this Um, and that's kind of one example we have many such examples where we'll come in and innovate on a product that the customer needs all on the phone with a much lower cost structure obviously you know I don't have to open up branches and have people running it and so on and so forth Uh, and that is the wave of the neo banking that you're seeing we're still in very early stages this is kind of day zero of it Uh, but uh, and it's not like the old banks will go away so don't get me wrong State Bank of India is still around they have not gone away uh, and so the the world is going to have a place for the public sector banks uh, and they will serve a certain target segment. There's, there'll be a world for you know the HDFCs of the world which are also modernizing and digitizing and so on and so forth. Uh, and then there's a wave for of, of the next generation banks which will offer a suite of products um, you know whether it be a credit line, whether it be for example a credit checker that we do. Um, we have launched a product called Pay, which is a very exciting product for us. So there are a number of things that we have done. Um, and there are a number of new products that are going to constantly get launched uh, which are very focused and once i explain to you it will be very simple as like of course you should launch that right but these are the products that uh, actually the consumers want uh, and they will make money and these will be the next uh, innovation uh, in fintech uh, at least in this part of the world
0: mm. give us a sense of how you use uh, technology to make all of these uh, possible
1: sure Hari. so the uh, because we are living in a world where there is no branch, there is no office, right? There is physically nowhere for the customer to go to, right? So I told you that we have a million customers coming to our, uh, you know, our products every month. I've never seen one of them. I mean, I've, we meet a few of them once in a while just to get a sense of who the customer is. But the only way we know our customer is all through digital, right? So the only way we know the customer comes to us first on a on an app or, or a website, and every interaction with us. goes through the phone fundamentally. So with if the phones for example like you know tomorrow all the telecom networks go down for like a half an hour I mean the country will have (laughs) there'll be a mutiny in the country but that aside from our product won't work right obviously we need to be digital. So the product is all digital Um, so the technology is the various elements of it. Um, So one is obviously the phone and the app and all the technology there. Second is uh, of course on the on the cloud Um, You know all the servers and everything that makes it happen. And lastly the third piece is of course the data science So all of this works because I'm able to evaluate a person digitally uh, in seconds Right. This is not possible for a bank, right? You can't have papers You can't have people on a screen staring at something. It all has to be automatic and and it all has to be smart Right Uh, and what we have found especially after COVID is that the machine learning algorithms are honestly much better than uh, human algorithms, right? Because you know they don't have any emotion. They don't. They don't get tired. They don't. Uh, you know they don't fall asleep. Um, and they don't have fights with their with their spouses in the morning, right? So uh, they work uh, and they work and they learn from you know what they did in the morning. By the time they in the evening, they get smarter, right? So uh, it's it's and and obviously it's the cost is going down and down. So the cost of technology is practically nothing here compared to the cost of real estate of opening branches and so on and so forth. So, uh, we use technology in various pieces from app technology to server technology, but most importantly, uh, data science uh, and machine learning uh, algorithms.
0: Mm. One uh, quick question and after that I want to ask you more about your own entrepreneurial journey. Uh, You know, it gives a sense of, uh, if you throw the story forward uh, with the, like you said, with continuous uh, or continual advances in uh, uh, machine learning and AI programs. And also uh, government-backed uh, regulatory, uh, you know, liberalization if you are, or improvements, like for example, the account aggregator framework has come out now. Uh, so those kind of initiatives, uh, if you put it all together, say five years down the line or 10 years down the line, uh, what will financial services uh, look like, uh, both for individuals and for businesses, especially small businesses?
1: Sure. Um- I would like to think that uh, you know there will be no physical stores, there will be no physical branches, there will be no physical anything, and it's all going to be you know app and uh, you know it's all going to be voice based and you know sort of the fantasy world of you know you know it's like a sci-fi movie kind of a thing. Um, and my view is that that will happen for for a section of users, right? So there will be a set of users who will be using. Um, you know, just voice activated banking, you know, things will come to you, right? Automatically the algorithms will detect what you need and, and tell you in the morning, Hey, this is what you should be doing, right? For your financial health. Uh, and I'm sticking to the world of finance. Um, and, uh, and, and this is what you should be doing. Hey, you're just overspending. Yeah, you should be doing this. You have to fix your credit here. You know, this is, these are your patterns based on your patterns. I'm seeing that these are the three things you should be doing. So there will be those kind of things. Um, but in my view, they'll also coexist um, with because there are a set of users. You know, we are a large country and we have many types of people. Uh, so it will coexist with sort of the the, the banks of the, the at least the private sector banks of the world, uh, which are extremely well run. So maybe they'll have fewer branches because a lot of the people will go digital. Um, and you know, they will serve a set of customers who need like you know that physical touch, the human touch. Um, and things which are genuinely much more too complicated um, for algorithms to handle. For example, uh, in the world of small business lending today, right? even though uh, you know, a lot of it is digital, uh, you still need to go and, and, and sort of you know walk into the store and you know no lender will give money without understanding the physical inventory of the store and so on and so forth, like the cash flow. Uh, so some of the work will be partially automated there, some of it will be physical. In the world of consumers, which is where Frio lives in, Um, We are already 100% digital, uh, and this will get even more, uh, you know, uh, smoother and sort of easier because our world is a little bit easier. It's much easier for me to evaluate somebody uh, who's sort of in the middle income. They don't have, you know, they make, uh, you know, whatever, anywhere from 30,000 rupees to a lakh a month, right? That's kind of our target segment, Um, and, and, and their needs are much more easy to evaluate digitally, right? Because it's a lot of small transactions. So the small transactions have already moved digital, right? Today, we already are using UPI. So we are some ways living in that you know, in that world. Uh, of course, it'll get smoother, right? It'll get easier, some clunkiness is there, which will go away hopefully, two-factor authentication and so on and so forth. All of those will be, technology will solve all of those. Uh, but in a lot of ways we are, some sections of the market have already moved there and the other sections will move there you know, over time.
0: Mm. So uh, like I said, switching gears, uh, tell us a bit about uh, your own entrepreneurial journey. What prompted you to start your own business uh, rather than, you know, you had a master's in computer science from the US, you could have followed a technologist's career.
1: uh. Yeah, I'm a little bit of an accidental entrepreneur, to be honest. Um, So uh, when I finished uh, grad school, uh, I was in in graduate school uh, doing my master's in computer science and computer engineering. And um, one of my close friends, he wanted to start a company and, and he did. Uh, and he just pulled me in and initially it was kind of like a little play thing. He's like, okay, you know, whatever, you know, might will do some time pass. But then suddenly you get sick in and one thing uh, I'm sure every entrepreneur listening to this podcast understands is that there is no sort of, when, when it comes to entrepreneurship, it's all or nothing and you can't just like dabble with it on the side. right? That's surefire way to fail. So um, so it ended up being sort of a full-time uh, and I just got sucked into it. Uh, and uh, when I finished graduate school, I, my first company I joined, because um, I had to get a green card, uh, the company went public in two years. So I was super lucky there. Uh, once I went public, obviously, you know, that was a good outcome for me. Immediately got my green card quit and then joined my other friend who I'd been working with on the startup. Uh, and that was my first startup. And after that, once you do one startup, you know, you can never look back. So I've lived continuously in the world of startups since 1991, pretty much. So been coming up to 30 years. So.
0: What was it called, and uh, what are some of your uh, most memorable takeaways from that experience?
1: Sure, uh, that was called Wyatt River Software, um, and uh, so this is very early days. You know, it was still we were selling software on you know diskettes and 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 and, and CDs. But um, uh, the big takeaway is that you know entrepreneurship is is not for everybody. Um, you need to have a certain appetite for risk, um, and uh, of course the rewards are obvious. Everybody loves the reward part, but um, it's also a lot of hard work um, and a lot of sort of sleepless nights. So uh, it is really a part of the game. So uh, if you really don't want to do it, if you want to sleep well at night, and uh, uh, and, uh, and and accept that that's okay, uh, and, and I think it is perfectly fine. Then uh, you know, then entrepreneurship is probably not for you. But uh, but you love the excitement. If you love the roller coaster. You love the ups and downs. Uh, it's almost like an addiction, honestly, in some ways, um, because you get that dopamine high and then you get the low. And, uh, and but and then but then and I, I'm using entrepreneurship loosely. I think anybody who starts any business, uh, it doesn't need to be like a fancy startup. It does It can be anything. You're on your own, and you don't know. You cannot predict your paycheck. You know. For the next year or next month then you are an entrepreneur in my book uh, and if you're an entrepreneur this is what you signed up for or you're signing up for if you want to become one. Mm.
0: And uh, how did uh, Snapfish happen?
1: Um, so I, I already done a couple of startups um, by then and uh, Snapfish, um, so my very close friend uh, Shripati Acharya who I started, he, he was my classmate at IIT and, um, and he had gone to Harvard with, uh, with a couple other guys and they were toying with the idea of a startup with digital photos and um and uh, they were brainstorming and i kind of joined them um and uh, th- at this time the, you know the film cameras were uh, were still the the main thing but digital cameras were just coming up it was just a toy you know the digital cameras were two thousand dollars each and uh, and people were using them uh, more like the geeks were using them uh, but we could clearly see that you know the electronics cost price will go down and it went from 2000 to 20 dollars right I mean, it was like a steep drop uh, and then of course the mobile phones came and the digital cameras went away um, but uh, but we saw the trend and we wanted to ride the trend and uh, that's why we started uh, snapfish along with shripati uh, who then later on i started prime ventures with um, he's my co-founder and they're invested in frio so he's still on the board in frio so it's kind of a long journey but it's fun yes. when you do it with friends. Mm.
0: You you've talked about how uh, during the dot com bust uh, you uh, faced some tough times at Snapfish had to downsize and so on. What was that experience like? What were some of the big lessons out of that?
1: Um, that was very brutal. Um, in the, you know we went from 200 people company to 20 people company. We went from a huge fancy office to an office where you know we couldn't even stand up. It was like a middle like a hidden floor in a, in a building somehow in the back. Um, so, you know, whenever you take a step down, it's, it's not fun. Uh, it was brutal, but we had a loyal set of people who stuck with us, uh, and they all sort of, you know, did financially and, and otherwise very well afterwards. Um, and you know, companies do go through tough times, all companies do. And, uh, you just need to sort of ride through it. Um, and uh, and come out on the other side. So it, it's uh, people usually see the sort of the fun part of the startup, and, and, and startups are a lot of fun. But when I say ups and downs, that was a that was a down. You know, it was 9-11, You know, the planes just hit the World Trade Center. You know, the post office was you know radiating all the all the all the mail. So all, all the post service and our fo- products were photos and film and so on and so forth. So they were all getting like you know <laughs> they were all getting scorched. So, these are things you can't predict, you know, things like COVID, for example, happening now. So, you know, every, every uh, few years, you know, these, these kind of black swan events does happen, do happen uh, and, and you need to write through it.
0: Mm. Where was uh, Snapfish based? Uh, were you already back in India by the time?
1: No, San Francisco, as, as Snapfish was a San Francisco company right in the heart of downtown San Francisco. Mm.
0: And uh, how did uh, Hewlett-Packard get interested in the company?
1: Yeah, so they were big into printing and, and printing photos and snapfish was doing at a billion prints at that time um uh, and so they wanted to have a, a, a play in printing uh, and we were the online printing and they were doing physical printers inkjet printers so, so that, mm. that was the mission mm. mm.
0: so when you when did you come back to india and uh, was that when you started prime ventures
1: no i came back to india in 2007 and um uh, I was the managing director of HP, uh, and I was running a global uh, division. Uh, I did that for about about a couple of years, and then uh, uh, late two thousand nine, I met. Uh, I had the fortune to meet Mr. Nandan Nilakani and uh, he uh, he immediately said, "What are you doing with your life?" And you know, how long are you going to be a corporate slave? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. That's not what he said. He was much more polite, uh, and he said, "You know, do something useful for your country." You know, we're we're starting this thing called Aadhaar, and you know, we need people to come and. Of course we won't give you any salary or anything uh, you don't need it uh, come and, and do something right uh, uh, and and contribute right you guys have all taken the benefit like right? he himself went to iit so you know you went to iit somebody paid for your college and uh, and, and you went off to the us and you know you gave nothing back uh, which is true uh, <laughs> and he said come and do something now so obviously i was uh, you know super motivated by that and uh, i joined them this was even before other even had an office um, and uh, and 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 to be to be clear, I played a very small role uh, in this sort of a mighty project. Uh, there were amazing people who worked nonstop, twenty-four-seven. It was just almost inspiring to see them. I've never seen any startup founder ever, both in the US and in India, work that hard, completely for free, um, and also take all the you know the brickbats that get thrown at you when uh, when you're running a such a high-profile project like that. So I was lucky to be a part of the team. Uh, it took me a little while to realize that it's actually, I was a lucky one uh, to be able to do that. So I did that for a couple of years and then um, along with Shripati, my co-founder at Snapfish and my class from IIT. Uh, and Sanjay Swami, who's uh, one of the you know, leading guys in payments, in digital payments, he still is. Um, he was also a volunteer at, at, at Adhar, and three of us um, started Prime Ventures.
0: The uh, two years at uh, Adhar, uh, what did you do though?
1: Um, So, I did various things, uh, did uh, anything that was asked of me. Um, So, initially, it was helping with onboarding people with Aadhaar, then it was sort of evangelizing how to use Aadhaar. It was a lot of travel going down to, you know, various, uh, you know, different things. We used to go to, you know, the public PDS system, for example, you know, we would go to Chathisgarh and figure out how to use Aadhaar for PDS, which is today, you know, uh, ration cards, deduplication of Aadhaar. So, there was a lot of... Uh, multiple, uh, 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 there are a lot of multiple uh, um, uh, users of Aadhaar as well as onboarding of Aadhaar. Honestly it was like a startup you have to do whatever it takes mm.
0: and and what got you all to start a VC firm and why did you want to start a VC firm? Yeah. Um, so back in 2012
1: um, the There were angel investors, so there were groups of angel, Indian angel network, Mumbai angels and so on and so forth uh, who would fund the very early stage system. Uh, There were, you know, Sequoia Capital and Axel and the sort of the big few firms uh, but they typically would take a deal only when the product was a product market fit, you know, the product saw some scale. So there was a very big gap in sort of the very first check uh, uh, and the angel's uh, group obviously served served a need but they're a group of individuals, so you know, and you're taking a check from, you know, 50 people. Um, and it was not like one professional board member whose job is an institutional money uh, and who can sort of, you know, take you through to the next stage. So there was a big gap in the ecosystem at that time. Uh, and uh, and that's what we filled. We went and raised money from people like Jerry Yang, who's the founder of Yahoo, from Chamath, Pallipatya a whole bunch of people, Brad Garlinghouse, the founder of Ripple, um, uh, CEO of Ripple, I mean, and a whole bunch of people in the valley and uh, we felt like this is a clear need that needed to be addressed and so that's what we did.
0: Mm. Looking back, I mean, through your uh, prolific entrepreneurial journey as well as the VC experience, what are some of the biggest lessons that you feel uh, today's aspiring entrepreneurs can benefit from?
1: yeah um there are a lot of lessons um so so the the biggest one is sort of uh, you know keep your feet on the ground you know stay humble um and it's kind of a little hard to do because uh you know you need to have your head in the clouds uh if you want to be an entrepreneur you have to dream big you have to think big you have to think like a megalomaniac right you're going to conquer the world and that is sort of the language that you have to use and the metaphors you have to use and uh, and that's the mindset you have to have right you can't just lie about it, right? You have to sort of be in that mindset um, but, uh, but you also can get caught up with your own rhetoric, right? So you need to understand uh, yourself, you need to have the feet on the ground, you know, you need to be nice to your friends, your family uh, and more importantly understand your customer, right? Just, you know, you, you didn't suddenly jump up and, you know, become, you know, some, you know into a spaceship. Uh, you, you are who you are like two, two years ago, you know, you're still the same person. So you need to have live this life of duality, and I don't know if I'm getting too philosophical here, but uh, but you need to have this sort of mirror, almost schizophrenic image of yourself, where you know you have to be humble, you have to you know be honest, um, and uh, you have to keep your head down. But at the same time, you also need to be dream big, think big, because if you don't think big, you'll never get there, right? You need to you know we didn't if we didn't think of a credit line where I'm going to do a billion dollars of you know of credit uh, using a product which is which I told you right? this product has stayed the same uh, from you know from the way when we conceived it some minor tweaks here and there but when we said this is what we want to do this you know this whole thing about how you borrow a little bit of money flexibility you know, borrow money from your uncle the same metaphors same problem we tried to solve um, and, and we conceived it and now we have done it a billion dollars of it but so you need, do need to think like that right on one hand dream big and try to make a reality happen that it doesn't exist and for that you need to have your head in the clouds uh, but you need to have your feet on the ground so that'll be the biggest lesson obviously there are lots of things uh, uh, as, as a founder you need to uh, you know obviously raise raise funds you need to do a lot of things right you need to manage people it's very hard to hire people there are a lot of operational aspects of running a business uh, but honestly the, the toughest parts are not that uh, the toughest parts are like you know how you manage yourself and and how you manage your co-founders. For example, a lot of co-founding teams break up because they can't handle the stress. Um, almost I've seen it as, as a venture capitalist all the time. It's almost rare that the same team would stay um, because it starts out well, but over time when you fast forward a few years, you know the wheels everybody you know, the wheels start going in different directions and and that's very detrimental to the company.
0: Mm. What are some of the uh, biggest influences in your own life? Maybe even going back to your childhood, where did you grow up? What was that like?
1: I grew up in Chennai. My father was a sort of a mid-level government, central government servant, Um, very, very sort of lower middle class, uh, Tambram, Chennai, Chennai life, you know, in the 80s, 70s, as as, as, all the stereotypes apply to me.
0: Any mem- memorable uh, incident or any uh, memory that sticks out to you from your childhood?
1: Um, in terms of entrepreneurship, uh, and in, in this context, uh, I had an uncle who was who was an entrepreneur. You know, he started his company in the late 70s, um, something doing something very different in chemicals. You know, he was, he was being found with chemicals. And I saw him go through his own ups and downs and how he handled himself. Um, and, uh, and it was a very tough journey for him because, you know, back in the day, the banks don't give you loans. You know, you know, it's just nothing is easy. Uh, you know, everybody's trying to, you know, there's corruption, this, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and I saw him go through it all with a, you know, with with, uh, with a smile on his face and, you know, never getting ruffled. And that actually is a big, big source of inspiration, even to this day. Mm.
0: The uh, the tough phase, the difficult phase in Snapfish, uh, would you say that that probably was one of uh, the low points and as, a, as an entrepreneur uh, what was probably the worst time and what was the high point that you can think of?
1: So the exit when we sold to HP for 300 million dollars was a was a good high, <laughs> I have to say. Um, watching the business grow, so any growing business is always a high, right? I mean obviously the exit is like a climax but that doesn't come every day and it comes only once in the life of an entrepreneur. Um, but every month every week uh, when the business is growing um, and and doesn't matter what business it is uh, you're always on a high Um, when the business is not growing for whatever reason um, then uh, life becomes tough um, and it's even more extreme in the case of a startup because the expectation of growth in a startup is very high right your investors your board members I'm not happy with you growing like 20% year on year, right? So you need to like double, triple year on year. That's what growth means, that kind of growth. Um, but, uh, so the, it's very, it's a very high bar, but when you do grow like that, um, and and, uh, and and Frio was growing like that, for example, and is now growing like that post COVID, you know, two to three X a year, uh, then, you know, you, the team, everybody is kind of on a high. Um, and, but when you have a flat or when you're, when you're slow, uh, then you know it, it's kind of a low but not an extreme low but so it's, it's a low
0: mm. uh, briefly um, outside of Frio at, at the VC firm what are some of the most interesting startups uh, a couple of examples that you have personally championed
1: yeah. <laughs> um, several uh, there are several we have an excellent uh, uh, host of startups um, personally uh, for example is, uh, Happy is one of our startups um, the, I saw the founders uh, in, in a Thai event in Delhi, and um, and I just knew that these were the right guys to back. Right? Uh, they came to me, and uh, it's just like I knew. So it was one of those gut feelings that um, that they were sort of the immediately the, the right people. So uh, that doesn't happen very often, but um, but when you do have moments like that, uh, and later on you turn out to be right, it's even better. Uh, so that was one of those personal things when I saw it you know it was like okay this is the guy you know got to, these guys will make it happen and with this without any presentation nothing Just like I just looked at them and I, and, and I knew a little bit about what they had done
0: hmm. so a few uh, uh, rapid fire questions uh, in the sense that uh, answer them quickly without thinking too much about it uh, first one is tell us about one thing in your career that is not there in your official resume
1: um, sure, On um, a personal life I'm a, I'm a big adventure guy, uh, some people know this but you know I've been to more than like you know 80-90 countries now. I motorcycle, I ski, I scuba dive, I trek, I'm very active outdoors in general.
0: Okay, uh, professionally uh, name one person who has left a deep impression on you and tell us why.
1: Um, that's easy, uh, Nandan Nilakani. Uh, he's just an amazing guy, uh, he I've seen him go through all kinds of, you know, storms, political and this and that. And you know I've never seen anybody work harder for a cause where, you know, he, you know, it's just it's just for the cause um, and stick through it and, and make it all happen. And, and just amazing at like multiple aspects. Um, so absolutely, he's like by far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, when you have time to read books, uh, is there a book that you keep returning to?
1: So, in the context of business, um, as an entrepreneur, uh, it's an easy answer also. It's Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. So, that's one of my Bibles. It's written without any sheen, without any sort of air airbrushing. And people always write these stories and they leave out the, you know, the hard parts. And this was like a very naked, authentic book.
0: Mm-hmm. What does uh, money mean to you?
1: <laughs> um, Money is absolutely critical up to a certain point and it's really not important after that point. Um, And you have to decide what your point is. Mm
0: -hmm. One important thing that you never start your day without, it could be an activity, a habit or even a beverage.
1: Uh, I'm a tambram, so I need my coffee in the morning. Um, But the last uh, five, six years, I've added about 20 to 30 minutes of meditation. Um, that really helps me.
0: Okay, uh, your favorite uh, hack to get yourself out of a funk.
1: Um, you know, we live in a tech bubble. You know, we think, uh, especially if you're living in entrepreneur, this is all your life is. You meet other entrepreneurs. It's good to step out of the tech bubble and sort of see what the real world is. See how the, the other 1.39999 billion people are living, and uh, and not just your you know 10 entrepreneur friends.
0: Right. Last question, uh, one city that you would love to live in?
1: Um, you mean outside Bangalore? I mean, I chose Bangalore. I love Bangalore. Um, <laughs> outside of Bangalore, it will probably be New York. Uh, I love New York.
0: Excellent. Uh, in the interest of time, we'll have to leave this conversation here and I hope to keep the conversation going. Uh, Bala, thank you so much again for making time for this. Uh, really appreciate
1: it. Thanks, Harry.
0: So that was Balapath Sarthi, a really prolific entrepreneur and VC investor. That's it for this week's Startup Friday's conversation. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, wherever you are listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. Have a great Friday evening and a wonderful weekend ahead.